This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanem. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, uh, we're broadcasting again from the Bay Area, Northern California, under really difficult circumstances as usual. I mean, we are in a red flag warning just for our listeners outside of the Bay who are paying attention. We have a red flag warning, which means extremely high fire danger right now. So in the midst of our pandemic, we are also in the midst of a grave fire danger. So um, the situation in the Bay Area remains uh, very tenuous. In addition, we're beginning to see that the United States, basically 45 of the 50 states are experiencing some to significant increases in COVID cases and five states have almost maxed out on their ICU beds. It looks like, Jamal, we're in the midst of this second wave of COVID infection. It's not getting better. We're not turning the corner. Things are very bleak from my perspective. Having said all that, you know, the situation in the Arab world, especially in Palestine, continues to be very equally on fire. I think there's a red flag warning in Palestine, Jamal. You know, we're in the middle of the olive harvest season in Palestine, and that's always very dangerous time for Palestinian farmers. That's right, Jess. And uh, we'll be talking about this. And uh, they've been coming under uh, heavy attacks by Israeli colonial settlers, which happens like clockwork every year. Palestinians, you know, how important olives and olive oil for Palestinians. That's probably the most important product, not only because they've grown these trees for hundreds of years. Some of those trees are even more than a thousand years old. Right. But also it's more of a spiritual uh, ritual uh, for Palestinian farmers and also from people from the cities who go every single year in October and volunteer and work with these farmers to harvest uh, their olive trees. And then afterwards, some will be used for olives. And then, of course, olive oil in Palestine or Palestinian olive oil is one of the best rated in the world. In the world. And settlers have been going for many years uh, torching these uh, olive trees, uprooting them, attacking the farmers, trying to scare them away. So we'll talk about this uh, a little bit later on. But we're also also in the midst of another pandemic, Jamal, and that's the pandemic of Islamophobia and anti-Arab, anti-Muslim bigotry, not just here in the United States, but apparently in France... The attacks and the viciousness and the Islamophobia is reaching even greater heights within the political and judicial system. That's right, Jess. So in um, talking about pandemics and also France is going through its second yeah. wave. Yeah, they're so, shutting down so, Paris. So they're shutting down. They've lost control pretty much. So so we are uh, we're going to be I've actually finished talking to a guest in France just a few minutes ago. Uh, Shafika Atuley, and Shafika is the uh, director, international director from this organization that combats Islamophobia. It's Collectif contre l'Islamophobie en France, CCIF. And uh, we've had her on the show about Before. a year ago. I remember. And, and now things have gotten much worse because 
There is a new bill now in the government that's going to get voted on, basically criminalizing many of these Muslim institutions and mosques. As it, In fact, she told me as we were talking, some of those organizations were getting raided by the French police and being searched. Also, like I've said, the Minister of Interior put this new law, new bill. Um, and then President Macron has been making all kinds of Islamophobic statements lately, saying that uh, Islam needs reform. And like all of a sudden, he's now the... He's uh, the reformer. He's the reformer of Islam. And we talk about this, but also you'll find out, of course, this has a lot to do with his popularity ratings, which is basically has been sinking exactly. since his handling, just like Trump, of the COVID-19 and, of course, the terrible, terrible economy that France uh, has been facing. So let's listen and uh, watch uh, Shafika Atelier. Recently in France, President Emmanuel Macron has unveiled a plan to defend France's secular values against what he termed as Islamist radicalism, saying that the religion was in crisis all over the world, prompting a backlash from Muslim activists. A new bill aiming at strengthening secularism, laïcité, and reinforcing Republican principles was introduced by the Ministry of the Interior. According to French Muslim activists, the bill is overtly Islamophobic and intervenes in a pre-existing climate of suspicion towards Muslim communities and bans of regular Muslim practices. Joining us from France to discuss this and more, Shafika Atelier, International Project Manager at CCIF, Collective Contre l'Islamophobie en France. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Shafika First, quickly describe what your organization is all about to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me again on your show. Um, frankly, I'd rather prefer to, to come and talk uh, here in your show in a total different uh, context, but here we are. Um, we Muslim people are facing today real difficulties uh, in France. And so once again, thank you, Jamal, for offering me the possibility to uh, share with the audience those uh, difficulties. So um, the CCIF is the Collective Against Islamophobia in France. You said it well. We are an organization that uh, fights Islamophobia directly on the field for almost 20 years now. We have a bunch of jurists. We have lawyers that free, that's freely legally help that provide legal assistance to the victims of Islamophobia by um, using uh, the mediation when there is a discrimination and uh, uh, when there is there is an act of discrimination we use uh, the mediation we uh, remind the law to the discriminants but also going to the court when the case is more serious. So this is basically uh, uh, the, the legal assistance. We have a hotline, we have a hotline, and we, um, uh, we welcome the, the calls of the victims of Islamophobia. We uh, open their cases, uh, and we, this allows us to, to um, record 
the data of Islamophobia in France. So, so earlier, I mean, I know the laicite when they started this whole concept. Muslims felt that this was uh, discriminatory against them. Especially, uh, there was like this whole campaign against the burqa for a while uh, under the previous uh, administration, and now, I mean, like I'm looking at it. Why are they introducing? This new bill, they've already have it in the law, laicite, and it created a lot of, uh, you know, uh, discrimination against uh, Muslim, especially Muslim women going to public universities, uh, being in public buildings. And uh, I've recently read that there was uh, a big uh, outcry in the parliament because uh, there was uh, a woman who uh, attended the, I'm sure, uh, attended the National Assembly uh, mm-hmm. hearing, uh, and then uh, and then they uh, other parliamentarians staged a walkout mm-hmm. uh, because she was wearing a hijab. They were like, "Oh my God, there's a woman with a hijab. We, we must vacate the building." I mean, this is insane. I mean, even even I mean, here for us in the United States, we have Islam Islamophobia. But uh, really not at this level that when a woman walks in, into a public building wearing a hijab, this becomes a public outcry. And, and uh, it's, I, I really hope that it will never reach this level in uh, the United States. But, well, this is a good insight of the insanity uh, which is uh, ongoing in France. And so, yeah, there, there was this whole story around this uh, this uh, student. Uh, her name is uh, uh, Mariam Pushtu. And so she attended, she attended uh, the, the, this, uh, she was in this institution uh, for her knowledge. And it was nothing to see with, uh, with the Muslim women or with the Islamophobia. It was to see with her own knowledge as being uh, a syndicalist, as being uh, the president of a student association. And so finally she was targeted for uh, her religious sign. And so some people were uh, outraged and then they decided to, um, to go out from, from the, from the, the, the court. Uh, this is the kind of situation that happens uh, in France on a daily basis. And you talk about uh, you talked about this uh, this law, this bill of the this right now is still a bill, but we know for sure that it will be a law. This is what is frightening us. So, if I may, I would like to give some um, some uh, some context on how we finally reach this level of having this kind of bill that mm-hmm. will, um, in a couple of months, in a couple of months, uh, that will be passed into a law. So if I may, I would like to give some context. Yeah. Please go ahead. Amazing, thank you. Uh, so in October, I mean, October 2019 was a turning point it was a turning point in the semantic shift and in the apprehension of the French uh, government's notion of radicalization. Why? Because I'm sure you remember that in, 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 in October tw- 2019, there was the police Paris prefecture attacks, okay? 
by mm-hmm. terrorism, by, by a terrorist that left, unfortunately, four people dead. All right. right. The, minist- the former minister of the interior, Christophe Castaner, he did react and he delivered at that time a speech. A speech where he was calling the French society, us people, for the automatic reporting, automatic reporting of anyone suspected of radicalization. You know what it means. It means he's, he's he's telling all the public basically to spy on their neighbors. Exactly. You have to denounce your neighbor. You have to denounce the bad Muslim, okay? But what is more appalling is what he, what he describes to be a radicalized person. This is the problematic. So I, I'm quoting his words. He said that, uh, okay, first he evoked a notion that will have significant impact on Muslims. It's the notion of weak signals of radicalization, okay? And what he described by, by weak signals of radicalization is merely the, the wearing of a beard, the wearing of a hijab, of a niqab. It's uh, the uh, ostentatious uh, practice of uh, ritual prayer. So basically praying five, five, five times a day. Uh, and, and, and also what he calls a rigorous uh, religious practice uh, and, and when this practice is exacerbated during the month of Ramadan. So I'm sure everybody's understanding the issues here, right? So if I, so, so, so let me get this right to our listeners. Yeah. So if you live next door to me and I don't like the way you look because you wear the hijab, or if you're a Muslim man with a beard, or if I see you going to the mosque to pray, then I can drop the dime on you. This is the expression we use here in the United States. I can pick up the phone and call the, uh, I guess, the police security and say, look, there is a radical Muslim that lives next door to me, right? Basically. Basically. Because his description was really confusing. Because we as a Muslim were appalling. Were appalled. When, we, when we heard, I remember when we heard the speech of Christophe Castanel at that time, and that he was describing basically me or my father or my neighbor Muslim, it was frightening. And so what is more frightening is this blatant criminalization of regular and peaceful Muslim practices, regular and peaceful practices of the Muslim religion. And also by doing so and by speaking like this, he is reinforcing, he's reinforcing the climate of suspicion towards the Muslims, the climate of suspicion that was already existing. And, uh, and yeah, the, the, basically. And, and, and also, uh, I wanted to, to add that it was the words of the, of the former minister of the interior, but it has been followed by our dear president of the Republic, Emmanuel Macron. And so when you have the president himself uh, applying, implementing this strategy, implement, um, pronouncing this kind of words, 
because uh, in October, um, uh, in the end of October, uh, Emmanuel Macron, the president of the French Republic, he also kind of paved the way to the suspicion, to the, to the stigmatization towards the Muslims. Because he would pronounce a, such a martial speech against, uh, against, the, against the Muslims using terms as Islamist hydra. You know what is hydra, right? It's this mythological monster with several mm -hmm. heads that won't stop uh, having uh, heads growing as a... From as uh, Greek, a Greek mythology, right? Yeah, hey, and, and he would basically qualify us, the French Muslim, as, as Islamist hydra. Mm -hmm. do, do, you, do you see the level here? It's not... Well, it's not uh, in, it's in his... In his speech, he also claimed he was seeking to liberate Islam in France from foreign influences by improving oversight of mosque uh, financing. So he's claiming that, uh, you know, I mean, let's just remind our listeners, you are uh, French, you are French by birth, by your family is French and whatever. So now he's basically claiming that you know, you receive financing from outside to go to the mosque and you have influences from the outside. So he's not really recognizing you as a complete French, right? Because mm -hmm. that's, that's the clip. Now, let me ask something quickly before we go to this. We used to hear this kind of language from Marie Le Pen and her father, her late father. Now, this is, now I'm seeing like Macron I mean, does this have anything to do because his popularity is low? I mean, he's trying to appeal to the far, far right because I looked at his uh, polls and he's polling very, very low. I mean, his ratings are very low. Does this have anything to do with that? With it? Uh, I don't know if uh, I should talk about any conspirationalist uh, theory. I don't know if it has to be with it. If it has to see uh, to be sorry with the COVID nineteen, with the social uh, inequalities, with the social crisis. I don't know. I don't know if it has to see with his uh, popular rating. But I know that indeed this bill, this move could be attributed to the far right. And I was thinking, and I was thinking, uh, I think yesterday I was speaking with a colleague and I was like, I'm not sure if there would have been uh, Marine Le Pen and the Rassemblement National uh, uh, at, uh, at the head of our government. I'm not sure if they would have uh, enabled this kind of bill. And here we are with uh, a so-called... Uh, centrist uh, uh, president and we have this kind of super freedom destroying law so yeah yeah I mean that's that's what kind of shocked me because he came you know like a centrist or even sometimes tries to kind of court uh, the liberal uh, party like his progressive and whatever and yet his language, I haven't seen his language. I only heard it from Marie Le Pen in the past and, and from her late father. And, and it's kind of very astonishing to hear, like, what, is, what does he want? He wants to liberate Islam. Why does he find it his job to liberate Islam, for example? I mean, what role does France as a previous colonial power, uh, you know, want to liberate Islam from what? 
basically it has no role, it has no basis. Uh, and uh, it isn't the role at all from uh, the government to have any interference in the religious matters in the individual uh, it's it's an it's a freedom it's a basic freedom of uh, the, the French and of everybody but but above all in France it's a basic freedom to have uh, your own religion and, and and to make it personal and not uh, uh, some matter uh, of uh, and regulated and governed by the state and uh, this was uh, supposed to be um, covered by the law on laicity you know, uh, and when we will speak a bit deeply of the bill and what it contains, you will see that now, yes, it's, uh, you, you feel like it's the role of the state to save France from uh, the bad Muslims and from the bad Islam. And uh, they feel it this way. Uh, I mean, they use it as an excuse, terrorism, making this... Uh, basic and huge confusion between Islam and terrorism, but this is enough for them. Politically speaking, it's enough to combat Islam from France and to interfere into the religious matters. Let's give uh, our uh, uh, viewers and listeners some context here. Islam is the largest, uh, second largest religion in France. It is the second largest religion in France, and I think population-wise, uh, Muslims comprise about uh, 7-8% of the population, if I'm correct. Yeah. And, and then the failing of the government, because I think it has also a lot to do with the failing of the government and the connecting it to the economy, the failure in uh, combating COVID-19, which, by the way, we, we shouldn't brag about this here in the United States because we have the same issues as far as uh, the Trump administration failing to combat COVID-19. But in particular, when I was uh, doing my research and reading, the areas that has been affected, that have been affected the most are like the Bain Lieu, which are the suburbs, uh, neighborhoods which are uh, poor in general. A lot of immigrants live there and, and the government has failed them terribly. I mean, they're far more, they don't get now all their, the services, resources, whatever. And, and of course, these, these neighborhoods are inhabited. The majority of the people who live there are either from North Africa or Africa and are, are by and large Muslims. So I, I feel he's trying to cover his failure by saying, oh, by labeling Muslims as terrorists. I mean, it's like, oh, we got to liberate them from the foreign intervention when he's really, he, the failure of his government is killing them in France. Yeah, definitely. Uh, during the COVID-19, we've seen, and unfortunately, in France, we are kind of facing the second wave of COVID-19. So it's not, it's not over yet. But in the first wave, we saw that uh, the, the people that were the more targeted by the COVID-19, unfortunately, were the, let's say, working class, middle class people, and they or if, uh, indeed people living in uh, the banlieue that you talked about in the suburbs. Uh, and uh, and what, what you can see is the denunciation of uh, the, basically the non-action of the government uh, when it comes to uh, 
breaching uh, when it comes to put an end to these inequalities, to these social inequalities when uh, you have in some uh, suburbs of the of, of Paris really, really uh, a, 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 a nightmare in the hospitals because they don't have uh, enough um, medical staff to 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 uh, face the COVID, and yes, because obviously it's uh, it's people that live in uh, in the this kind of neighborhoods. They are uh, in small uh, apartments. Uh, they live in uh, with uh, a, num a certain numbers of uh, of siblings. Uh, they have much more interaction, and I mean non inevitable interaction between each others. And uh, finally, they are the people that are left behind uh, in comparison with the more uh, wealthier. Um, so yes, definitely it could. It is. It is certainly one. Uh, it is certainly a means from the the French government to try to um, let's say abrogate this uh, social uh, crisis by. Uh, by bringing something something more important, which is the public enemy, public enemy number one, which is Islam, and which uh, eventually or the Muslims. So the failure of the government and COVID nineteen uh, are not the public enemy number one, and you have to divert them to Muslims. I mean, I think you framed it just right. I mean, that's the way. I see it, and it's really disappointing to see that uh, President Macron taking this 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 attitude. Because again, for me, who, someone who lives outside, I was used to seeing this language from Marie Le Pen and her father. Now uh, we have a few minutes left. Um, what's your message, really? What's your message? Because we know now this bill is not a law; it has not been adopted yet, right? And then you guys are trying to stop it from becoming a law because then becomes uh, very dangerous. So what's your message to, uh, you know, people living in France and, and outside? Okay. Like, like you said, the bill is not passed yet, but we know it will. It will definitely be enshrined into the French legislation. This is why we are uh, moving right now. That we are trying to to uh, to urge for the debate and and to review this uh, this uh, freedom destroying uh, law because it clearly violates uh, numbers of um, of international texts and conventions. Um, just to give you quickly, because I know we have just a, a, a few minutes, just to to tell you briefly. This bill, if it is passed, it will change the notion of neutrality. It means that from now in France, now in France, only the civil servants are um, are submitted to the notion of neutrality, religious neutrality, right? But if the bill passes, the 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 private law persons will also be subjected subject to the notion of neutrality. It means, for example, that in France right now, if you are a civil servant, means a, a professor or a, a fireman or a police officer, you cannot wear the, 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 the hijab or you cannot wear any religious cloth, cloths or sign. It means that now with this law, it won't only be the civil servants, it can also be the, the users of civil services. And this is super dangerous because it means that 
it means that um, that if you want to use a, 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 a public service, you will have to withdraw your religious sign. So it means, uh, in the end, no religion at all in the public sphere. In the public sphere. So this is dangerous. There is also another another uh, element in this in this bill. If it passes, it's um, it's okay. It's the change into the the notion of laicity. They want to change the notion of laicity. They want to reinforce it. They want to reinforce the the, the supervision of uh, mass of I would say Muslim organizations. Yeah, of organizations, but obviously it's Muslim organizations. They want be ready. They want, for example, the labelization the labelization of imam. It means that basically they want the imam, so the religious leaders of the Muslims, to be chosen and trained by the state. Wow, yes. by the government. I mean, yeah, because they wanted to be trained by the CFCM. So there goes there goes the separation of uh, state and church, right? They basically that goes they... totally against it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, so they wanted to finally reverse it. They they want to totally reverse this notion of laicity. So mm. this to put, to to bring uh, to bring uh, quickly the stuff. Another element, another. Um, uh, dangerous element is that they want the end of homeschooling, you know, homeschooling. They want the end of homeschooling uh, mm -hmm. for all pupils and students in order to fight against radicalization and in order to fight to fight against racism. So in France, they think that to fight against radicalization, you have to stop homeschooling. So this is this kind of of stuff that you will find into the bill if if uh, if it passes, um, yeah. And you have a feeling that it will pass. I mean, it looks like you're kind of uh, throwing the towel on this. I don't throw the towel. I would never. Mm -hmm. But I, I, it's not that I have a feeling. I have a certitude. I know that it will pass. But I know also that we civil society or the academists or everybody, the citizens, can do something within France and outside France. We can do something to renegotiate, kind of renegotiate the terms of the bill. And if we renegotiate of the bill, we can try to uh, kind of uh, save, literally, literally saying in France, in French, we would say save um, the furniture, souvenir. We can try this, but Eventually, yes, the law will passes. It will pass. Sorry. Well, uh, I hope it doesn't uh, because it sounds uh, terrible. And uh, I mean, I went to a French Catholic school uh, when I was, and they used to teach us uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité, uh, and so this is all out of the window, basically. So the French can stop uh, acting that they are fighting for people's freedom because they just basically want to control uh, one minority group in France, which is very disappointing. Uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank you again. Uh, you've been listening to uh, Shafika Atelay. Uh, Shafika is the international project manager 
at CCIF, Collectif contre l'Islamophobie, en France. Go to their website. What's your website, quickly, Shafika? www.islamophobie.net. Great. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Jamal. That's uh, Shafika Atoleh. Uh, from CCIF, uh, you know, speaking with us about some very disturbing developments in in France, Jamal. And I think, you know, as we said before, that it seems like there are multiple pandemics, not just a pandemic of uh, COVID-19 in France and in Europe, but a pandemic to target, to isolate, to scapegoat, again, Muslims uh, in Europe and in France. Uh, again, here we go again. So it seems like Macron's playbook is not that different from the Trump playbook, which is not that different from the Netanyahu playbook. It seems like all of these politicians, Jamal, who are suffering from uh, just, you know, catastrophic leadership are using attacks on Arabs and Muslims as their ticket somehow to get out of their political uh, morass. Exactly. And it's, it's almost comical in a sad way, Jess, because we've witnessed this before. We've been yes. kind of, I've been following the news in, in France and Islamophobia in France since Sarkozy time. Right. This right. is when also Sarkozy wanted to pull something out of his sleeve during his election campaign. And again, it has something to do with his popularity rating. And then he came up with the burqa ban, even right. though, I mean, there are... A lot right. of Muslims in France, but very few of them work the burqa. They work the hijab. So he came up with this law. And they have this uh, older law, which is the laïcité, which is basically bans uh, religious uh, symbols from uh, public and government institutions. So technically, if you're wearing a hijab, you cannot be there. If you're wearing a cross, which they don't enforce, you cannot. You should not be there. If you're working a kippah or a yamaka on your head, then the same thing should apply to you. But for some reason, Sarkozy targeted Muslims, and that's why he elevated that laicite law into the burqa because he didn't want to antagonize the Jewish right. community with the uh, with the kippah. He didn't want to antagonize the Catholics wearing the cross. Now, fast forward to Macron. Macron came as, well, she describes him as a centrist, but he really tried to build himself as, as a liberal, which he was not. He's no centrist and, and he's no liberal. But, well, that's, that's how he likes to be known as. And then he's using the same words of the far, far right, like exactly. Marie Le Pen and her father, uh, you know, which basically they are the face of if there is such a thing as a French KKK, right. Marie Le Pen and her father were. But he's using the same language, the same language that they were using and trying to pass laws to deflect from his big failure uh, combating, just like Donald Trump, the COVID-19, to deflect from the high unemployment and the crashing French economy. So, of course, the easy and soft target Let's target the 7 or 8% of the population of French Muslims. Yeah, that's exactly right, Jamal. And, uh, you know, this they're an easy target. Uh, we know that Europe is kind of, and we, we are seeing this in Germany right now, especially with the far right reemerging 
uh, as a strong political force. So we see the emergence of these white supremacy, far-right, extremely uh, xenophobic populations in Europe, the United States, and even among Israelis, whether it's settlers or the European colonists that are that are there right now, all kind of jumping on the same bandwagon right now. And each of these places, whether it's Netanyahu, Macron in Europe, and, and Trump in the United States, they're facing horrible leadership when it comes to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, significant, minus Germany for now, significant economic downturn and uh, displacement uh, economically. And, um, you know, what are they going to do in terms of getting re-election and boosting boosting their ratings? You know, we have the, the same old scapegoat uh, tactics. I fear, Jamal, I don't know how you feel about this. You've been monitoring the French press a little bit more. We see it here in the United States. We see it in Europe. France seems to be in the midst of another extreme wave of um, the equivalent of, uh, as you said, the KKK and white supremacy extremism, even in France. Yes, and, and it has been for a while. There is a panic. And of course, like I said, this is the soft target. This is, uh, you know, go after the weakest link, which is usually minorities. In France, the population of uh, Northern Africans, Arabs, and Muslims has been on the rise now That's for right. many years. Right. Uh, some put it at 7%. There are even some other statistics that puts it closer to 10% of the population. If you not only add Northern Africans, but also you add, add people from the Middle East, the la latest wave of immigration of uh, from Syria and other places. Right. So the numbers, the numbers have been, and, and of course from Africa, uh, the numbers have been on the rise, and the economy has been going down. And so there is that panic. It's the same thing, you know, when you have high unemployment, who do you blame it on? You blame it on immigrants. Immigrants. You, you, blame, you blame it on people of color. And so now with the lockdown, even with the lockdown, just when people have lost a lot of their jobs, who do you think are out on the streets That's working, right. cleaning the streets, That's right. driving the transportation system, uh, you know, uh, working in civil services, the front people? They're all immigrants. They have right. some some sort of a job. So they're seeing so the so the average French person who's just sitting, getting used to having their long weekends, they call them the bridged weekends, Le Pont, whatever. Now uh money's running out, and now uh they they're they're the government, you know, with uh, President Macron, they're trying to shift the attention away from their failure to target these immigrants and say they are the problem. And by the way, this is something very important. Guess where you have the highest rate of infection of COVID well, and lack of services? I, I would say the rural areas where there aren't exactly. as many immigrants. Yeah, exactly. That's called the banlieue area. That's where most the North Africans, Arabs, etc., Africans, they live there. And, and they are the suburbs people, you know, uh, who like to play tourists, uh, Americans, right. whatever. We go to France. It's beautiful Paris. We all love Paris. The Louvre, the Champs-Élysées, uh, Saint-Germain-du-Pré. 
They don't get, they don't continue on the train and go to Saint Denis, for example. This right. is equivalent for me, this experience, because I've experienced both having lived in New York. This is when I have lived in New York in the late 70s, when you people, white people got off the train at 96th Street maximum, because after 96 came the 125th Street, basically inner Harlem, right. and all the white people didn't want to go to Harlem. So all the white people, all the good tourists, wherever, they stick around in the beautiful areas of Paris, but they don't see what's around Paris, which That's is right. the banlieue, uh, poor neighborhoods, high unemployment, a lot of youth, and that's why a few years ago, if people can remember, you saw them demonstrating, burning tires and whatever. And so now in the midst of the pandemics, they're suffering the most. They have, you know, because, you know, immigrants and poor people live in crowded places. So they'll have a two-bedroom apartment with maybe seven, eight members of one family. And the French government has failed them again. But at the same time, instead of admitting this, they're shifting the attention and saying, oh, we've got to target Muslims because they're wearing the hijab. They uh, recently, and uh, this is you'll hear from Shafika, you've heard from Shafika actually, uh, about a Muslim student who was at the General Assembly, National Assembly, and then they staged a meeting because they, wore, they saw her wearing hijab. Imagine, imagine like if you have a hijabi woman went into Congress and everybody staged a, a walkout because uh, she did not fit in their dress code. So that's the situation there. Well, I think, Jamal, what we're seeing, you know, uh, we're seeing an interesting shift globally right now, as well as locally here in the, in, in the States. We see this kind of shift Politically, there's uh, there's a bit of a political pandemic and earthquake going on right now because of the rise of these extremist groups in Europe and the United States that have and and among the Israelis. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing European leaders, not so much, uh, you know, uh, Merkel of, of Germany, but other European leaders like Macron and in other places really fomenting this kind of division and kind of uh, xenophobic attitude. We definitely see it in the United States. This is what I call Trump's last stand uh, by continuing to foment division and racial uh, insecurities among people of color here in the United States. Ed, as we kind of go into our uh, segue into our next segment about uh, Palestinian farmers who've been harvesting olives for hundreds and hundreds of years, Jamal, we see that settler colonial violence, even during the pandemic, when there's supposed to be a general lockdown of the entire historic Palestine right now, we see settler colonialists attacking Palestinian farmers who are trying to harvest what little they have of any kind of economic uh, security by harvesting, you know, their olives during the olive harvest. It's it's really it's 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 really hard to see this now, Jamal. Yeah, and talking about the pandemic and harvest, and that's actually these settlers, and many of them are uh, very religious zealots. They refuse to, to wear masks, right? And they have the highest rate of infection. As a matter of fact, Israel leads the world per capita 
in the highest rate of infection. Oh, well, uh, there's one recent. place that's closer, and that's the Hasidic Jewish community in Brooklyn and in New York also. Okay, so, so these settlers, not only they go and physically assault and attack Palestinian farmers, many of them carry the COVID-19. That's right. And they, are, and they go and scream and get into your face like half an inch away from your face and then physically assault you without wearing a mask. And so they are also responsible uh, for spreading COVID to Palestinian communities. And these Palestinian communities, they have a very unique, uh, I would say, uh, micro kind of uh, existence. Uh, They're isolated, small villages. So if you don't have an infection there, you're not going to have an infection because they don't get, they don't interact with strangers and foreigners. They're basically foreigners. And then these guys descend from these settlements up the hills where they have uh, usurped from from them from before and they go with clubs and stones and and torches and, and they guns. try to yeah. and guns and and chainsaws they go and to cut down the olive trees sometimes they set them on fire so we've been seeing a major increase and talking about settlements yes this is the other part of it you know now what has what, what i forgot i lost track of time it's been what three weeks now since that, or four weeks since that big bonanza and extravaganza in in the White House. Oh, lawn. you mean the the grand peace plan between the, grand the United peace, States peace and UAE? Plan. Yeah, and and, and and with that pretense that uh, you know this this is going to bring peace to to the Middle East, bring peace between Palestinians and Israelis, and Israel was going to uh, uh, stop the annexation of Palestinian land. Now, guess what? Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu just recently ordered a convening about a week and a half ago of the Planning Commission of the Civil Administration, that's the name of it, with the aim of approving extensive constructions in the West Bank. Here we go. Over to the extent of 5,400 housing units in a dozen of locales and uh, which which is totally like just like a stab in the eye of those who talk about or the basically the emir of the UAE talking about freezing the settlements. Well, he talked about and, doing this for the Palestinians because it was going to help them. And and the and 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 a new report just was released by the Israeli Peace Now movement, showing figures and numbers. And putting as the year 2020, and the year is not over, we're only mid-October. This has been the highest numbers of new housing or settlements being built by the Israeli occupation for the past decade. That's the highest number. So this is the year that they've been talking about this great peace plan. And Jared Kushner saying, yeah, they're going to, like, you know, preserve some of uh, the land for the Palestinians and trying to save the two-state solution. It's nonsense. This is by the, by the Israelis' own reports. They, you know, from the government, he's rushing in f- f- 5,400 new, new units, trying to finish them before the end of the year. Peace Now movement is telling you this has been the highest number of uh, settlement building activities 
since ten since ten years ago. Yeah, Jamal, but I think part of this has to do with they are anticipating that Donald Trump may lose, and that Kushner Trump uh, uh, kind of political motivation to give the Israelis whatever they want may come to an end. Not that Biden is any better, but Biden and his kind of traditional uh, State Department approach to the region, he could very well put a stop or a slowdown to the settlement expansion among the Israelis. There's no guarantee that Netanyahu is going to be around next year anyways. Who knows what's going to happen to him? So I think you see among the Israelis, Jamal, the same thing you see among the Trump uh, bootlickers and Trump himself. These are desperate, scared people who anticipate that they're going to lose and they might they have to take, extract, and steal as much as they can right now before the election yeah, or before yeah. Netanyahu leaves. You're, you're, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head just with this. There is like a major land grab, a yes. big rush to grab as much as possible. There is a colonial fest going yes. on. And, and that's what they're trying to do because... A, well, also at the same time, you know, there are demonstrations, anti-Netanyahu anti demonstrations all over Israel. So he knows his kind of, his time is running, he's running out of time. And then they're, they're unsure about what's going to happen with the elections. And we saw that what with, the, with, the, with the RNC, with the Republican Party, trying to ram through you know, right. the nomination of a Supreme Court judge. Right. Even though they were the ones to object to President Obama That's telling right. him that he needed to wait to the, for the new president to, or the new administration to make that. There is this, this uh, mad rush in, 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 in going about this. Uh, and, and just, and of course, uh, we have, um, you know, a few minutes to talk about the... Uh, COVID situation here and, well, let me just say about and the, the elections just yeah, well, doesn't look good. Let me just good. say they're, they're really intimately connected, Jamal, because the failure, and, the failure of leadership among the Trump administration and the catastrophic leadership uh, around their COVID response has resulted in a massive uptick in the number of infections. 45 of 50 states in the, in the union right now, Jamal, are experiencing increases and at least five or six of the states, their infection rates are so high right now that the number of hospitalizations that are occurring in, in right now are at peak levels. Wisconsin, Utah, uh, Midwest, the, the Dakotas. And um, we're really at the beginning edge, Jamal, of a real significant uptick. We're talking about a second wave that's going to be hitting the United States we have 8 million people who have been infected. That's low. We have 200 and almost 20,000 people who have perished that didn't need to perish. And we still have a president and a vice president who are saying we've rounded the corner and things are better. So, Well, that's, this, is, this is the mind-boggling, just how do you, you, you reconcile this with the picture and the sound of Donald Trump Saying, "Look at me, I it's nothing. I got sick. Well, I'm fine. I'll tell you. My son more. got sick. He's well, fine. But let me and tell then you. he was dancing to the tunes of the village people. Right. Well, let me uh, tell you something. If you or I took dexamethasone, if we took a steroid, 
no matter how sick we were, we would probably be dancing to the uh, village people also, Jamal. Because steroids, you know, that's why bodybuilders and certain people take steroids, because it gives you a false sense of power and feel and, and good feeling. So he that's going to wear off eventually, Jamal. The, he, he was saying, actually, he was saying, maybe I'm Superman. That's what I... Well, I, he wanted to words. wear a Superman outfit and, you know open up his shirt to show a Superman outfit, but his staff talked him out of it. This well, is isn't a- this... Uh, this is a scary picture just because uh, here we're going through a second wave and you, you counted, what, 42 states now are back. You know, they have retreated with instead of... Adve- in, in, with increases instead of, uh, you know, improving. And now he's just giving this image. Don't worry about COVID-19. I survived it. No, you can survive said, it too. Don't let it control you, Jamal. This is the President of the United States says, don't let the virus control you. As if human beings can control their own infection. The only- so briefly, we have a few minutes. How will this play? Because we're it, around the corner. By it, next it, week, we'll it, only have like less than two weeks for people to, for the elections, basically. And well, people have been voting what, in advance. Here's what, here's what we're seeing, Jamal. We're seeing the the largest number of absentee and mail-in voting occur in the history of the United States. By by far, the number of people that are voting by mail and absentees appear to be Democrats. We have 19 days till the uh, elect, till you know, till the election, till you know the, the you know that first Tuesday in November. And in 19 days, is gonna you're gonna see the numbers for the COVID. Uh, pandemic exposure be exploding even more. So I think tragically that more Americans will die, more Americans will get infected, and the reality of the Trump administration will 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 unfortunately come to a painful realization to many people. I'm still not counting Donald Trump out of this, Jamal. Don't don't get me wrong, because the voter suppression is out of control right now. So. But we're going to see some really horrible numbers on infections and deaths in the United States before the election in November. Well, uh, we're coming to another end of uh, Arab Talk. Uh, make sure you go to our uh, website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest episodes. And we will be talking about the elections in the next two weeks. And we will be receiving, by the way, just a report from Washington, D.C., from Arab Talk, Phil Pasquini, Excellent. who actually who's now in D.C., and he'll be reporting right there from around uh, the White House in the next, uh, hopefully the next couple of weeks, but definitely on Election Day. We'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>